the Gentleman's Four podcast, our first podcast of this new year. So we hope you had a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We have not just three of us, not the Gentleman's Four, but a regular four panel of, uh, panel of podders here. So I'd like to introduce the guest first, Mr. James Coleman. Hello. Good to have you with us. Mr. Chris McLennan. Hello. Mike Wood. Hello. And myself, Richard Sims. So we've got a full programme for you today. Uh, so what are we going to talk about, Chris? Uh, we're going to look at the Spielders Yaris uh, for 2012, which is uh, Kingdom Builder from Queen Games. We're going to look at uh, Escape from the Curse of the Temple, which is a sort of action-packed, dice-rolling uh, game, also from Queen Games. The expansion to King of Tokyo, which is a favourite of ours. And uh, Fantasy Flight's new Star Wars RPG, Edge of the Empire. So... Uh, all kinds of stuff. Yep, got a pretty full show for you. Also, might get on some computer game talk at the end, maybe some XCOM. XCOM. So, yeah, XCOM. So, stay tuned. Okay, so first up, uh, we're looking at Kingdom Builder uh, from the designer of uh, Dominion, uh, Donald X Vaccarino. Um, I think it's fair to say we've had quite a good time with Kingdom Builder. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, Mike, what were your opinions? Um, yeah, it's fairly... Abstract. It's good. There's lots of thinking that you have to do. Yeah. It's it's one of those games that you can be fairly impulsive and do quite well, but also you can really math game it and just think of every single possible outcome and which one's going to get you the it's most It's very points. much a Euro game. Yeah. yeah. But, but unlike most Euro games, I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, it is quite dry. It should be dry, but it just... It isn't really. You just... You know, the, the premise basically you've got a, a large sort of hex board and it's modular so it changes every time and on your turn you'll draw a type of terrain and you have to put some of your settlements down on that terrain but each game there'll be three uh, random objectives drawn so the way you score points in each game changes every time it could be having lots of separate little settlements it could be about making one massive blob of a settlement getting as many as you can on a horizontal or vertical line on the board linking lots of cities together mm. like there's a, there's a lot of variation in the objectives because yeah. you draw three each time different yeah. ones complement each other differently and it makes it quite very yeah i think there's yeah. maybe nine objective cards there's 12 is there 12 um yeah, yeah. There, there's there's around 10 objective cards and uh, the manner in which they're drawn in that you get three from a from a shuffle deck each time means that the game game experience changes significantly every time you play in addition to the fact um, the tiles uh, the modular tiles you place down as the game board they basically have different uh, buffs which you can get by going to a certain place on those tiles. So to give an example, if you go next to a farmland, uh, or what are they called, area, if you go yeah. to a farmland settlement, then uh, for the rest of the game you essentially get a passive buff that on your turn you can flip your farmyard tile, uh, which is permanent, you get that forever, and then you can place one extra city down on a farmyard tile. Now what I really like about the game is... You can, you can really get some in-depth tactical planning and you can kind of have a, a master plan which kind of um, expands and, uh, you know, evolves as the game goes on. Um, James, what, what were your initial impressions? You've only played one game of it so far. I have, yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting, as you say, very much sort of Euro game. It wasn't very heavy on theme as far as I, as far as I saw. It was more no. around um, getting numbers of... It's, it's a numbers game, it's exactly what it is. It's, it could be set anywhere and it wouldn't make any difference. Um, but, uh, yeah, I quite like the I like the tactical and the planning side. The board's nice, the pieces are quite nice. Um, but, yeah, from a, from a first playthrough, I, I scored very badly because I didn't really know what I was doing. But um, it was 
Yeah, it's an interesting game, and I quite like some of the mechanics. Like, as you say, like the, mm-hmm. the, um, the passive buff mechanics were really nice. Um, allowed you to sort of think a lot further ahead and to make a lot more yeah. plans. I mean, I thought, saying like, you know, it's a mathsy game, it's a numbers game, but that by no means means it isn't fun. It's like, there's something about it that just, compared to some Euro games, it just isn't as dry. You could, like, I think it's something about watching your thing grow. Like, yeah. You just, you, you get to watch your There is something king. about watching my thing grow, I agree. <laughs> it does look a lot like Settlers of Catan from far away. You, you, like, even the pieces are exactly the same as the cities in Settlers of Catan. But, well, Settlers of Catan has that element of growth as well. It's, it's very satisfying to sort of start with a tiny little annoying little thing. And, <laughs> and, and in my case, end with a <laughs> tiny little... Uh, yeah, and like, it's, it's, not only, it's not only got expansion... But it's also got improvements and that sort of thing. Whereas this Kingdom Builder only has expansion. It's just expansion, expansion, expansion. I mean, it's and a mandatory is, expansion. It's like. mandatory expansion. Mm-hmm. And that that is a very satisfying aspect of Settlers of Catan. And doing that every go, just it it's warming and like, mm, yes, no, look at look at how much I have. Look at all these hexagons <laughs> I have <laughs> under my control. But also it's quite nice because you can feel like you're doing really well and you're expanding in one thing. Because of three objectives, like... You can think you're well on your way to win mm-hmm. and not notice just something really tiny, like especially with the special actions of the locations, uh, like something tiny that someone can do to completely dick on your whole plan. Like mm-hmm. especially the ones that let you move settlements around tend to just go, oh god, I thought he wouldn't be able to expand there, but actually he can just jump that guy over there and suddenly. Yeah, you can d- you can definitely file it under the same sort of gameplay type as sort of like a Carcassonne or Settlers of Catan. But for some reason, I prefer it to either of those. I don't exactly know why. I, I think, think it's, I do. I, do prefer, I certainly prefer it to Settlers. Like, but I Settlers, there's absolutely no random element. Uh-huh. Yeah. At least there's the thief or and the and the dice rolling actually. Throughout. I mean, there's sort of mm. a random element in the in the terrain cards. As you can only place your mandatory guys, yeah. you can only place on the terrain card you draw for that turn. And other abilities will let you go outside of that. But like, at least part of your turn is hemmed in by that card. But that's the game, really. It's dealing with those situations. Yeah, that, no, like, I find like, that can be planned for more. Exactly, yeah. Trying to get a particular resource. Because in, basically, in for instance, if you draw a forest tile, if you can place on a forest adjacent to some of your settlements that already exist, you have to. So there's a lot of going, right, I need to expand over there. I need mm. to start a new settlement over there. So I've got to keep away from certain mm-hmm. locations that I think I'm going to draw or whatever. And so it's, it's, it's really quite tactical even in just the basic turn before all the um yeah and the 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 special the special passive buffs which you get really kind of expand the game that they allow so much more um versatility in your tactics mm. like for example most of your buildings will be in a line because you always have to build your settlements adjacent but there are certain cards uh, that allow you to jump settlements elsewhere which allows you to start new lines you can start very sort of um, interesting sort of tactical thinking by saying okay i'm going to use this passive buff to uh, jump my settlement over here. Then I'm going to use this card, which say lets me play a settlement on the edge of um, on the edge of the board to you know start a new settlement over here. And then I'll play my main go, which is building on these grass settlements. I think, yeah, just as you were saying, there's a lot of tactical adapting you need to do. For example, in my last game, I had a very nice plan at the start, and then one of the terrain types I could have drawn could have totally screwed it up. And I, of course, yeah. drew that card. Yeah. So then I had to completely go with a different was plan. Was it flowers, perchance? No, no, this was a desert. I didn't like desert. Oh. I got my just desserts. Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> One bad thing I will say about it, though, 
similar to Settlers of Catan again, sorry I keep bringing it back to that the starting conditions seem very important because the buffs are achieved within the first couple of goes I think all but one were done in the first yes, two turns like, I mean most, you... most locations with the, with the buff tiles on are going to be adjacent to two or three types of terrain you can pretty much always make a solid first turn yeah but my, no, my point is that if you have a very su- very successful first turn, you get exactly what you need. You can end up with three of these little buffs that you've then got for the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. If you have a really bad first turn, you might only get one, and then that's it. It's 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 sort of it depends on that first card that you get on your first turn as to whether or not you're going to be yeah, more I guess powerful. There's, there's a there's a very later on in the game. Does, but then I suppose that means there's a very slight advantage to being the first player because you just have more options. But for the mm. most part, I think I. I don't think there's really any reason for you to have to make a shoddy first turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree with Chris. Actually, no, I agree with both of you. I think there is a slight advantage in starting first in that you can kind of, mm. uh, you can more easily dictate how exactly you want to play. Maybe not as opposed to maybe the second player, but definitely when we get around to the fourth player, there probably are going to be maybe less tactical well, options. But I don't generally think that's going to be absolutely decisive in many games. No, I, well... Because there was one thing, I went fourth in the last game, and there was one thing that I was only allowed to do because someone else had sort of grabbed a bit of land near one of the things. The thing that allowed me to get three passive buffs for the rest of the game was the card that I drew on that one on my first turn. Mm -hmm. It was exactly the card I needed to get exactly the things I wanted. Whereas if I'd drawn a pile of wank, then I would have had to just... (laughs) Then that's not even on the board, and you wouldn't have been able to play. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I might be, I might be slightly biased in that. I, I, I that think you my, always win. Yeah, I think no, but I think my, I, I didn't really win that much of settlers when we played it. I mean, I haven't played it for a little while, but I think there's something about my brain type which actually works really well for this game. I don't know what it is, but it's because it's all about passive buffs. Because it's all about passive buffs, which I do genuinely love. But lo- the, the last game we played, um, I had a really, really bad first couple of turns, which were really not what I wanted. But there's always a way to adapt, unless and unless you're playing someone else who has a mind which kind of works this, and it's and it can be one of those games where I think if someone gets a little bit ahead, it can be hard to stop them. But aside from that, you know, I really I wouldn't say it's a game with balance issues. You know, it's it's a Euro game. We're only they thought it through. They they they've thought it through, yeah. and you you could point out maybe minor balance issues, and I think we need to play a game a lot to exactly delineate. Exactly how much the issues that we brought and up. I think everything does really. I mean, you just you play anything enough, and you find those things. Yeah. Because no, no, nothing winds up perfect. I like Carcassonne, and I don't particularly like Settlers of Catan because I can't do it. There's something about <laughs> my brain that just doesn't work. I just am incapable of winning that game. Coleman hates Carcassonne. Really? Likes I Settlers of Catan. Don't like, know re- why. Like, I just it, I don't get on with it like, at all. So I find it interesting that you know we both seem to have enjoyed Kingdom Builder, even though we hate the opposite game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, you know, part of it is just boredom with Settlers of Catan more than anything else. <laughs> but but I, I think generally our consensus is is this this is a fine game. Um, I think we'd all rate it maybe above like Settlers or... I think it's my favourite of the sort of Euro games I've played. Personally. I mean, I don't know. I've got a lot of love for Carcassonne but I, I played it a lot and it's nice to have something because it's been a while since a Euro games come out that I really got excited about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got castles of burgundy and like it's one of those things like eminent domain where i played it and gone i can tell this is a really good game mm-hmm. but i i don't want to play it <laughs> whereas you know kingdom builder because it doesn't take very long it's quite 
It's quite compact, but still, there's a lot of thought to it. Now, yeah. I, I think it's a really good game. It's quite a quick setup as well. Because oh. I was happy to have. Uh, more can than I can set. I see the box? I'd like to give a quick review of the box. No, <laughs> no, you can't see the box. <laughs> no, no, you... no, because you never liked the box. You, you judged too many games. You no, literally no, judged games. Space Hulk has a good box. Right. Well. No, you can start your own box podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Today's box. <laughs> King of Tokyo, that's no, a good box. We're not judging it on a box. King of Tokyo is a good box. Yeah. Well, the first Warriors. the first two or three times opening it did make a lovely box fart noise. Oh yeah, good box fart. Yeah, it, ten, did, ten it, did, fart. it did sound like I was opening sort of like an RPG style door. You know, like you click on a wooden door in like Resident Evil or, or Oblivion or something. It goes. So yeah, um, a lot ten of, out of ten. <laughs> a lot of points for that. No, seriously, so. How many gentlemen should we rock it? Um, I think uh, high. I think three and a half, four gentlemen. Three and a half to four gentlemen out of four, I'd say. Three and three quarter gentlemen. Is that the first time you've given a score, Chris? No. Three gentlemen and a headless gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> a headless gentleman. <laughs> okay, so uh, what do we got next? I believe we have Escape the Curse of the Temple. That is what we have. We do have, and we have played it, and we are now going to rate it. As we do. So, thoughts, Coleman. I enjoyed it. It's very pick up and play. It's not particularly clever, but uh, it's it's but fun. It's, it's a distraction. Clever. It's a distraction. It's good. Um, I enjoy it, and I play it again. Okay, great. Um, just to just to summarise what the game is, it's essentially um, the first part of Raiders of the Lost Ark, the game, without a giant boulder rolling at you. So or the indeed, copyright. Yeah, indeed, all the copyright. So the guy on the box is literally Indiana Jones, but for all intents and purposes, okay, he's not Indiana Jones. He's Bindiana Moans or something similar. He's a non-affiliated trademark of LucasArts. Um, either way, yeah, it's so basically you have five or less players start in a central location. Um, you roll out dice in order to basically play. Uh, with a certain specific roll of dice, uh, you can put more tiles down. You then have to roll more dice to move into those tiles. Um, and you need to get gems uh, from a central pool, which you put onto certain specific tiles which come into play. Those tile, those gems then eventually allow you to escape the temple. The interesting thing about this game, much like one of my favourite games of my childhood, Atmosphere, is that it comes with a multimedia element, which is a CD which plays a soundtrack in the background, which says, ESCAPE at the beginning. It runs about 10 minutes, but every sort of two or three minutes, it goes into crazy drumming, and you have to get back to the middle or lose one of your five die to the curse, which is a big, big negative thing. Yes. I mean, it's, it's very frantic because there's no turns at all. You literally just all roll as quickly as you can, and there's a side of the dice that can lock your dice up mm -hmm. and a side that can unlock those. So often you're, you know, left with all your dice locked up, completely incapacitated in a room, and people have to come back and help you out. So it makes the whole thing very frantic. Um, but apart from that, it works on, yeah, sort of a Yahtzee reroll system, except you just, there's no limit on it apart from those locks. You just, you just keep rolling. Mm -hmm. um, so the whole thing's very sort of frantic and clattery and... Yeah, I, th Shouty. I, th I think that that is the main element of the game in that it's not particularly tactical. It's not, you know, hugely strategic or clever, like, like James said. Yeah, you, you pretty much band, like, as long as you stick together and communicate well. It's a game about communicating a lot, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but basically it's about just about the franticness of it and constant communication and people shouting, you know, mm -hmm. I need, well, there's, there's five sides of the dice, one which locks your dice up, one which unlocks your dice up, one which is a torch, one which is a key, and one which is a little running man. 
Well, there's two that have the running there's man. There's two that have the running man, is there? Okay. The running man is basically how you would... So rolling two running guys lets you put another tile down mm-hmm. adjacent to the room you're in. And then each room will have what you need to roll into it, which is a, yeah. always a man and something else. And so... But for example, in, in the in the rooms that allow you to place gems on the board, you can uh, you can place those gems by rolling a certain amount of torches or keys. So you move into the move into the room, and someone's saying, "We need torches, we need torches." But then someone's been left behind with all their dice locked up, saying, "I need an unlock, I need an unlock," and everyone's trying to work out where they are. It's quite confusing and frantic, yeah. and it's it, it's hard to work out if you're playing it correctly because yeah. sometimes sometimes two people say, "I need an unlock," and then someone rolls dice, says, "I've got an unlock," and you're like, "Wait, who? Wh- where is yeah. everyone?" Basically, it sounds a bit like this. Oh, two men. Cool. Like, yes, four keys done. How many have you got? Two torches. Have you got an unlock? Um, no. Oh, balls. Uh, we might have to go for the next one down. Uh, back to the middle. Back, back to, to the middle. middle. Wait, take roll your torches then, and we'll just use the seven. Yeah, good. I only. I lost yeah, we're all right. You were, yeah, you definitely have seven. Yeah, because I have three, two, two. Hey, I can unlock that straight away. Bang. I am locked. I've got an unlock for you. I know you're not in my room. Well, we, uh, uh, yeah. Fuck. Fuck. Um, I can roll these go back. And yeah, use an unlock. Unlock for oh, you. Thank you. Man in the torch. Ah! Oh. Uh, man in the key. Man in the key. Oh, oh god! Man in... uh, man yes! Yes! Oh, man in the key. Me. Roll out, roll out some unlocks, Chris. Where are we going? Where are we going? Hang on. Unlock. Where are we going? I don't know. I'm busy unlocking well, myself. We need to, well, we can't need to find the exit, but we need to. Let's go via this to the exit. Okay, we need, two men, we need two men, to get rid of some men. gems, otherwise we're not getting out. We had time there to sort out where we were going. Is all. Hooray! Yeah, our, our fucking horrible noise. Yeah, a horrible <laughs> noise. That must confuse people in the pub below. Mm-hmm, probably. They <laughs> think we're having some sort of massive argument. Yeah. Dice party. But Dice yeah, the, party. the relevance of putting the gems around the temple is basically when you find the exit, you have to roll to escape. You have to roll that many keys plus one. Like, so there's a pool of gems, and I think with four players it starts with something like 14. So you've got to go around the temple, taking the gems off the pool and putting them on these pedestals. And whatever's left in the pool, that's how, that's how much it's going to cost you to, to escape from the temple mm. at the end. So you really want to get as many gems out there as possible, because at the start it's literally impossible to escape. Mm. You've got 14 gems there, so you need to roll 15 keys, which is pretty difficult to do with five dice. Mm-hmm. So... One would say no, one impossible. Uh, one might, yeah. What, what, are, what are your thoughts on the balance of the game? Because I, I, I've played it a few times now, and um, the only time we failed to escape the Curse of the Temple is when we basically completely screwed up tactically. I said there's yeah. not many tactics. There is one tactic, which is stay together, and we, all went, together. Di- we all went in different I ways. I think once you get used to the game, uh, and you know, you basically just try and bundle around in a crowd all mm-hmm. the time, and you, you sort of get the tactics of where you should be placing tiles on each sort of sporadic run out of that central room. Mm-hmm. Because actually place, placement of the temple is quite important. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of want to jet out one way um, and do that until you're called back to the central room, then jet out the other way. So you've only got small distances to cover ever. Mm-hmm. So you can keep it all quite tight-knit. But, but once you get that down, I think, like certainly with a four-player game, you'd be hard put to fail the... Yeah, I mean, the standard game. Like but, I said, the the only time the only time ever we we've ever even nearly failed the the times I think I've played it six times now and we we yeah. got out five times and the one we didn't whereas we just screwed up and we those weren't even particularly um, 
you know, we, we weren't pressed for time. Yeah. Uh, the CD uh, essentially gives you 10 minutes to escape from the temple and the soundtrack. So it is quite a quick game, like quick and cheerful. I mean, there's a couple of soundtracks on CD, but they're, they're essentially the same format. It's, you know, it's three minutes before you're going to get called back to the central room. Then you've got a bit, then three minutes again, then three minutes again at the exit. It would have been nice if the soundtrack CD had maybe some shorter ones where it's like, you know, it was two minutes or whatever, yeah. just, just, just to, to make it, Change well, I, the length of time the, the, between the, the, But it is easily adjustable difficulty-wise because you just put more gems on the pool. Well, no, that's the thing. I, I think I would have liked to see a more like sliding scale of difficulty level. And it's, mm. it's not a hard thing to sort of house rule in, like a higher difficulty level. But I would have liked to see more inventiveness on the part of the makers and actually adjusting those difficulty levels. So you had sort of, you know, like sort of pandemic, sort of like different difficulty levels to beat and you yes. can adjust it so yeah. it gets harder and harder but, and harder. Like, I mean, that is, I mean, that's pretty much... I mean, they do suggest it in the in the rules there. I mean, they've given you more gems so that basically for a five-player game, I think there's 16 gems on the pool. Mm -hmm. And I think there's enough to put 20, um, which would make quite a lot of difference because that means you literally have to mac like do every pedestal room perfectly. Like, you can't, mm -hmm. you won't get away with using the yeah, pedestals yeah. you can put two on and things like that. But then there is included in the box what was going to be their first expansion, I believe, which is... Curses and treasures, which kind of shakes the whole thing up a bit, in that it just makes the whole thing twice as chaotic. Really, it's, yeah. yeah. The, the, cur the curses are basically uh, equivalent to a forfeit. So, for example, there's one where you have to play with your hand on your head, which is apparently not a problem if you're James because he always rolls one-handed, like some sort of Nelson <laughs> but, figure. But that is what. But that is why when he had the curse that if you roll one of your dice off the table, you lose it. He did roll one of his dice <laughs> off the table because he's, he's a maverick, <laughs> one-hand rolling. He's a loose uh, cannon. There's also the horrible one of you're not allowed to speak until you. Uh... Which is really Until horrible you if you're out. locked up, you spend mm -hmm. your time either waving the curse card around or clacking your locked dice on the table to yeah. This is a, this is a game of cooperation and communication as well, and so having yeah. the and inability few, to talk is a few crucial. more like that would have been would have been really nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um and then there's treasures which they crop up in various rooms and you can unlock them with a couple of keys and they might give they give you items to use later, either things that can give you new passageways through walls or just torches and keys that you can save for I, I think I think that is the better way to play the game to I think it is, I think, I think it's basically uh, I kind of consider the one without that the you know Beginner. learn how to play the game yeah. and then once you've got that down you know it's I, just another thing to pay attention to which is the game really I, mean. I would like to see as Sims mentioned earlier the with a CD you've got a lot of time on a CD like you've, you've got sort of 80 minutes 90 minutes that's easy enough to have nine difficulty settings of the game, yeah. So you you could easily have like the ten minute one with two in two rush back to the centre moments, which is the standard one. But you could have one with sort of five of them or six. Uh -huh. So in ten minutes, you've got to go back to the middle six. Times. And and that would actually make the the placement of the temple much much exactly. more um, relevant to the game because in, unless you're like really really far out when the drums start telling you to get back to the centre you'll usually be all right. Exactly. Whereas if it was every two minutes or, you know, one minute, you'd really need to keep the board, you know, very sort of yeah, yeah. tightly contained. And yeah. they could change the amount of warning you get. And there's that with a, an entire CD to play around with, it would have been so trivial to add extra tracks with different things. With on. the gongs in different places. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Whereas it just but, seems a bit... Yeah, and, and, and also as, as well, I mean, 
when whenever you're playing a game, you try not to meta game it. But when you have played yeah. a lot of the lot of the game, it becomes sort of a natural impulse when you know what's happening. When yeah. we played our last game, for example, Chris said, "Okay, we're back to the middle because the drums are coming." It would have been nice yeah. to have you know to have to wait for the drums. And if you've yeah. got loads of tracks, you could just have it so that. Oh God! I was not expecting the drums. Yeah, exactly. Like... Oh, one method would be nice is to have ah no mm, a CD that's got various length drum bits, but they're all different lengths, and you put them on shuffle, and so you don't know how long you've got until the next drum yeah, bit. That's just have we got, have we just got get... five minutes, or have we got two? Uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Let's find out. Okay. Anyway, I think, I mean, I enjoy it a lot, and I think it it would make it makes a very good sort of introductory game, I think, or a, or a good family game because it's just the rules are super simple. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a shit and a giggle. It's you know, it's not big, it's not clever, mm-hmm. but no one. No one's going to feel completely, you know, baffled as to how any of it works after the first couple of minutes. Like, yeah, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, guess, I and guess because it's a cooperative game, you don't sort of, you know, it, it's fine to just explain as you go along and help people out because that's the game. Whereas if it was a, a competitive game, then the things you have to explain, you might just sort of go. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess my major criticism of the game isn't so much a criticism of the game itself; it's more um, an expression of opinion of what I like games to be. Um, because I like, I like, I'm a very competitive individual by nature, and I like games where I can sort of like plan things out and play by winning well. I mean, obviously, and I think as a form of entertainment, like that's what I like board games to be. Mm. Doesn't necessarily how I like all my all my forms of entertainment to be. Like when I'm watching a movie, I don't expect don't to win. I, I don't expect. <laughs> to, I, I don't expect to win at Titanic. So I guess. This is, you know, so I guess this is an unfair criticism in some circumstances because different people want different board games. You know, like some people are quite happy to play Snakes and Ladders, for example, and they just roll the dice. But I think the fact that, you know, whenever we've won, I've never felt that we've played well or anything. I, I don't, and I don't feel there's any sort of like elements where I'm ever going to basically get better at the game. Or, yeah. You know, so, yeah. so I, would, I personally wouldn't choose to play it over maybe shorter games, which are still more competitive, like, say, I don't know, what have we got, like, uh, Wiz War or something, yeah. you know. You say that, though. I think this is a game where the person doesn't improve at all, but the communication between people gets a lot more streamlined and a lot more, every, you know, you know what unlock yeah, I mean, means. I do think Someone who's never played it before, what, what's an unlock? Like, oh, you mean the gold skull, right. Because okay. I found it interesting, because yeah, it... at the weekend we played with uh, my friend Stu, who doesn't play games at all, like, board games. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It was quite interesting trying to play it while trying to explain to mm. someone what's going on. Like it's a whole new aspect of the game. Like, because I think actually swapping out one person in a group that's played it before can hinder the whole lot. It's not like the other three are just going to win it for them because they've got to do something. Like, but I think, I think everyone needs to be involved. Uh, but I think that's going to be um, an element in any sort of cooperative game, and that if you introduce well, someone yeah. who doesn't really know anything about it, sort of. It's back to that sort of difficulty thing is that a cooperative game needs to be hard really to mm-hmm. to work but also because it's it's a cooperative game but you still individually have to get out so it's not like you're trying to perform a task and the three of you can perform it and the guy just didn't do anything he's got to escape as well so mm-hmm. like no one can be completely left out of it which i think makes it a good cooperative game like it's it's not just don't worry we've got this covered you just hang around there yeah <laughs> Because if one person is still locked in, it's not the other three win and that person doesn't. It's no one wins. Yeah, you know? well, I mean, for you example, lost a good Indiana Jones clone back there. Indeed. 
for example, like if we were playing Pandemic, which seems to be our go-to thing for good cooperative games at the moment, um, if, if he was sitting around the table with us four, we'd essentially, you know, take his turns for him. We'd be going, oh no, which is kind of what we do in Pandemic anyway, but usually it's a discussion. Well, yeah, about- Pandemic, it's not that bad for some reason. I can't really pin why, why it is, because, I, I mean, when we play RPGs and things, you actually get quite controlling, and it's irritating. <laughs> but for some reason in Pandemic, it does always just feel like like every turn isn't your turn it's just sort of let's discuss what would be best here okay let's do that and it does happen every couple of turns yeah. as well but yeah I, anyway I, I really enjoy Escape from the Temple it definitely makes a nice thing because the time's set it's ten minutes mm-hmm. long mm-hmm. Yeah. makes a nice thing to break up an evening really good yeah as a family game or just an introductory game because it's because it's just fun and that's yeah. all it's going for it's not trying to be being mm-hmm. clever and and, and, and it's and it's quick to set up and quick to put away yeah because you, you literally yeah. Get everything out the box. You're probably done in 15 minutes total. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it's a great little sort of um, like game to sandwich in between other things if you're playing other games or if you haven't got very long. So, James, how many gentlemen out of four? I'm going to give it two and a half gentlemen. Um, although I really like it, I think there could be more done with the difficulty level. Yeah. Um, I think there could be... I think there, there could be more. I think that will come out in expansions and it'll probably go up. But yeah. uh, it's... I don't, I don't, I don't know... What exactly it needs to push up? Probably some, yeah, some more difficulty options and some other bits and pieces. But, yeah, um, what they've done with the expansions so far, because as I say, the curse is is an expansion really, and then the illusions that look interesting as well. They they, they look like they look like things I do want to get and give a go. So it, there's probably quite a lot of variation to to come and like combining all the various elements if you can, because it's it seems to be fairly modular. Like you can just have, you can just play with treasures or just play with curses or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I presume you're going to be able to chop and change with the illusions pack as well. So we might see that scalability of difficulty, but yeah, more variation on the CD would have been nice. And I think two and a half gentlemen is a fair. Yeah, two and a half gentlemen. I would recommend if you like your games high octane and tension in a time manner rather than a tactical. If manner. you like stress, <laughs> yeah, but there's because there's, there's there's two sort of very distinct types of stress with board games and there's the sort of tactical double guessing type stress like oh oh, have I made the right choice and then that's sort of timeless you can take as long as you want but this one's definitely the opposite it like you you make your choice quick and it doesn't matter if you're wrong because time is of the essence you've just got to go 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 is is there a game we got which is this is equatable to you know like if you're like this you're like that I don't Mm, think there really is not really I mean we didn't we haven't played that spaceship one yet the one where you're that was like FTL, the board game. Oh, space, space Alert. Yeah. Yes, that that's, that's another game with the soundtrack. But that looks like it's a lot more cerebral. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, good fun game. Yeah, certainly if you... like, I think it'd be good with children, good with families. And, yeah. No, yeah. Just, a, just a shit and a giggle. Two and a half gentlemen out of four. Just now, we played Power Up. An expansion to King of Tokyo, and we play a lot of King of Tokyo. We have played so much in the past three months or so, however long it came out ago. Quite uh, a while, to be honest. Quite a while ago. Ever since we've had it, we've played it on average about 60 times a day. <laughs> and now there's an expansion for it that we've got, and we've played that a few times. We've played it so many times that the rolling of dice has literally indented our furniture, so we've got yep. our own little dice pit. All the dice are now sort of rounded off into yeah. spheres. <laughs> it's hard to tell which way's up anymore, yep. just because of gravity. Right, okay, okay. So, like, I mean, 
in general, the, the, the main change is each monster from the original King of Tokyo now has its own unique set of evolution cards in addition to the uh, power cards you get in the base game. If you roll three hearts on your turn, as well as getting the heals that you would get in King of Tokyo, you also get to draw one of your unique evolution cards. And like the original cards, they can either be a permanent evolution to your monster or an instant get some points or get some attacks or whatever. Bams. 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 Um, so yeah, it lends the monsters th- their own character a bit more. Um, there's also an extra monster in the, uh, in the pack. Uh, which is a, a giant panda. Kung Fu Panda. What's yeah. it actually called? Uh, panda Kai? Panda Kai. Panda Kai! I think there's Presumably. only one eye on the end. Yeah. His special power is he can't breed and is pretty much an evolutionary dead end. <laughs> 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 so yeah. yeah, he doesn't get a deck of cards. <laughs> he can't evolve. <laughs> Loves bamboo, though. <laughs> yes. He does turn the cards over in the blank. <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, what do we think? How do we think it affects the game? I mean, the first game... All the characters were anonymous, so we assigned characters to different people. So yeah. the, I was always the spaceman, Chris was always the King Kong, Sims was always the Claus Makalele. Yeah. That means... Kraken. Kraken. <laughs> Claus Makalele. He is a giant claw, and he uses the claw to snip other players. We understand and that when talking about King of Tokyo, we do speak a lot of gibberish. <laughs> but that was fine, that was absolutely fine, because there was no difference whatsoever between the different characters, so you could always pick the one that you always are and become very attached to it. Yeah. But now there are character-specific upgrades and that means that if you're that character every game then you're always those upgrades and that yeah. could become very boring. Well, there is a variant where you just shuffle all the evolution cards together and Which... then you give eight to somebody, right, eight to each person, but it's just... I wasn't aware of that. For the most part, the individual monsters set of evolutions complement themselves, like, each other quite well. Like, there's a couple... Certainly, with the more aggressive creatures, I think it doesn't you, work quite so well. But hold on, hold on. You're, you're, you're characterizing the creatures now based on the cards. There aren't aggressive creatures, or like no, or that's specific. Like that's specifically what they've gone for. There's you yeah, know, so no, no, no. Like Mecha Dragon's more... all about attacking people, and King Kong's all about yeah, no, but th- no, but that's what I mean. Now that you've got the cards, you're characterizing them based on the cards. But there aren't aggressive creatures, and their cards work well for them. No, there are... I said their cards work well together. They complement each other. The, the evolution cards complement each other in those okay. specific yeah. decks. Like if the you, alien one's got loads of research as well. Like so. if you get a few of the evolutions for the king, then going in and out of Tokyo becomes really lucrative points-wise, which mm. fits, like, luckily for me that fits quite well with my Yahtzee playing gorilla I hate your style. Yahtzee playing gorilla. But, I mean, I could see, and it's not really a fault of the game so much, but we, because we've become quite attached to our own creature playing the base game then some people well I know you feel fairly short changed with your powers don't you yeah I don't like my powers I don't like my powers what are the Kraken's powers yeah the Kraken's powers are rubbish that's why I don't like them oh. uh, there's a lot there's a lot of um, there's a lot of gaining hearts when you you know do certain things and and you know oh yeah you can heal above 10 yeah you, you can heal above 10 and you can skip a go to gain some hearts but I think the major problem I have with it um, on a purely gameplay sort of level is in the original game, um, each specific thing you could get, I mean, aside from the numbers, so an energy, a heart, or an attack, they were all self-contained elements that did their own unique thing. This kind of puts double emphasis onto getting hearts. So when you roll a heart, you aren't just getting a heart, you're getting a power as well, which, 
which I don't think is particularly good for balance because it means if you get down to low health, um, normally you'd just be rolling the hearts anyway. And because you've made, made maybe a tactical error getting onto low health, or maybe that's how you wanted it anyway, you'll be rolling for hearts and then you'll also get a power. Whereas someone who's on high health because of their play style, rolling for hearts won't have that same sort of um, same sort of positive thing. Yeah, because you, you, won't because be you get the heal as well. Like when you roll three hearts to get the evolution, you also get the heal you would get mm -hmm. normally. Thematically, I like it a lot. And I think King of Tokyo is more of a thematic game than a carefully balanced one generally. I mean, and that doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you. Because, like, if you watch any of those Godzilla-ish movies or as uh, you guys pointed out earlier, Power Rangers, <laughs> you get the monster, you beat it down, and then it gets bigger and stronger and gets something else. And so, I mean, that I, I, th I think you should get the heels and the... Evolution but I, together. but I, mean, I don't. I don't think King of Tokyo was ever was ever based on being a thematic game. I mean, it is very them, uh, no, but it is, but it is very thematic. But the gameplay wasn't really based around that theme. Like the a lot of the time when you're, it says King of Tokyo, but a lot of the time, as soon as you step into Tokyo, you'll want to get out again. It isn't about dominating Tokyo. It's about you know, and it isn't about smashing up Tokyo. It's about basically playing the game to defeat the other monsters. And your playstyle you know, seems to revolve around staying out of Tokyo and trying to roll as many threes as possible to get no, I like to nip in and out of Tokyo, like because the king's powers have things like you get extra points when you move into Tokyo, um, and the ability to force people to retreat from Tokyo is good because it means you only have to roll one attack to just leap in and out. So you just it's like it puts everyone else on a timer basically, just because you're always going to be getting points every turn because you only have to roll one bam to get two points plus that frees up four of your dice for Yahtzee time I hate your Yahtzee basically I don't like it, it's hard not to recommend it because I really like King of Tokyo but I don't think that it adds a huge deal to the game I wouldn't say it makes the game better but if you play King of Tokyo as much as we do I find it a, a, a welcome variant like I wouldn't put it in every time no but I wouldn't it, play it with like new characters uh, new players either no because the original game is so simple anyway and so easy to understand intuitively. That I think it functions nicely as a way to just freshen up and change around a game you play a lot. I mean, it's not like... Like, if you buy an expansion for Carcassonne or whatever, with the exception mm. of the stupid catapult, you, you're probably <laughs> going to keep that in every time. You, you, you're just going to add that to mm. Carcassonne, and that's ha now how you play Carcassonne. Like, whereas this, you know, sometimes are going to be, you know, in the mood to have it in, and other times I'm just going to want to play King of Tokyo as it was. We are in the position where... We didn't think there was much better that King of Tokyo could be anyway. Right? Needs more claws. It changes, it, apart from more claws. <laughs> yeah. It's. I like the expansion, but I certainly wouldn't play it every time. It makes the game a little bit more. It puts in a few more elements that it didn't really need in the first place. But I don't think they damage it. I think they just change it. Mm. Um. Yeah. I. I've got no real problem with the expansion. I just probably slightly prefer the original game. I don't think the powers add much to it, and I don't think they... I, the, the, the original game was perfectly balanced, basically. I mean, I know you said it wasn't about balance, but everyone's everyone's symmetrical in their opportunities. Yes. Um, mm. Whereas in this one, firstly, it changes that, and secondly, what I said about basically the hearts being a double power. It means if you're... Say if you've used an advantage to lower your health, but do damage. Yeah. You've gained a tactical opportunity by that, by allowing yourself to roll hearts and get a power. Whereas, say, the other player has gained an advantage by not losing any health, but maybe rolling getting your stupid... Yeah, getting armor. a load of armour or something. Then they don't have that same opportunity cost of rolling, out the, of rolling the hearts. I think it makes the game 
potentially at least longer just because there's more to be gained from rolling hearts so even if you only need one health or whatever you might go for the three hearts just to yeah if you've rolled two already then you might as well try and get yeah i see where you're coming from and i you know i agree that yes it does offer a tactical opportunity to yeah people who maybe play a bit more almost a bit more recklessly and like are going to you know lose health but that's what I was going to say. I think I it really mind. pays off to be more aggressive with the expansion in, um, to try and take Tokyo more often than maybe yeah, you would you, otherwise. Because you jump into Tokyo, you try and keep it, and you know, even if you don't, you can heal up and get better, and then try again. So, but that's kind of how I play the game which is, anyway, which doesn't work out very well yeah. for me in the standard game normally. I mean, yeah, it certainly changes the way certain people are going to have to play, I suppose, but I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. I don't think it's particularly... Yeah, I don't think it was particularly needed from the base game, but you know that's probably worse. An expansion, <laughs> probably, that's probably, probably why they kept it as an expansion. Well, here, here's the thing, though, for me is that I don't think it's bad or anything, and I don't particularly think it's good either. But the thing is, for most games, I really like. You know, um, if so, if if I really like a game and an expansion comes out for it, I'm usually I usually don't have hesitation in recommending an expansion to someone who already really likes the game. Whereas with this, if someone already really likes King of Tokyo, I'm struggling to find a real reason to actually recommend it other than more King of Tokyo. But if you want more King of Tokyo, you can play more King of Tokyo. <laughs> You've got to find uh, out why yeah. they like the original. I disagree. I think, I think it's absolutely for people who play it, who played King of Tokyo to death. You don't need it. It's not improving the game. It's another aspect you can put in when you've exhausted the excitement and possibilities of the, of the base game but we don't we love it that's the point if, well to me no if, to be honest like I'm kind of like I'm, I'm very happy having some just some new abilities and new ways again because I'm you know I'm kind of sick of seeing the same deck but as Mike said I would welcome a just more powers a, like a, yeah. a Dixit X, X expansion which is literally just a deck of cards with a bunch more powers just I, to shake it up a bit I, no I, I just kind of feel with, it, with an expansion um, it could have done something markedly different but kept the same core concept say for example I don't know I haven't really given this a great deal of thought but there's one player who is the king of Tokyo and while he's in Tokyo he gains a load of superpowers and all the other players have to try and take him down and maybe say the one who does the most damage to him you know becomes the king of Tokyo do you and think this might be rooted in your obsession with bands Coleman's got a great obsession with bands to me tell and me that- about your mother <laughs> <laughs> She was bamtastic. She was bamtastic. Yeah. That is one of the most questionable things I've heard. <laughs> I have an obsession with bams. I know. Okay. Well, next, week, next week, the Gentleman's Four Psychoanalysis <laughs> podcast, where Chris asks multiple celebrities what their obsession with bams is. I'll have to buy a couch. You'll have to buy a couch. Yeah. <laughs> you can't sit bolt upright when No, no, but do you, do you take my point in that they, 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 with an expansion, they could have like kept the same core dynamic but fundamentally changed the way the gameplay operated? Whereas this doesn't really change the way the gameplay But operates. you don't want to fundamentally change how the gameplay operates. The, the, like Half the joy of King of Tokyo is that it's nice, simple Bang. game. Like, you know, adding anything that mechanically changes it massively would, I think, be detrimental to the original experience. Yeah, but you can be not... Well, you can be not... It would be detrimental to the original experience insofar as the original experience is the original experience and... You know anything that substantially shifts that is probably going to change just that. A different game. Is, yeah, just a different game. But 
I, I think, but it's but you can still keep those same core dynamics, like the rolling and the and the, you know the powers up and stuff, while actually you know making a substantively different experience rather than the same experience but with a couple of extra powers. You know, it's going to be very tricky with a game that is so instantly easy, nice, all wrapped up in a nice little bow as King of Tokyo. There must have been a huge amount of pressure to come up with expansions. And whether or not it was rushed out or mm -hmm. thought as long and hard over it as it should be, or could, because it is difficult to find something that is doesn't change it too much, but changes it enough to yeah. satisfy Sims. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that was all on Richard Garfield's mind. It's like I've got this great expansion, but unfortunately, Sims is going to piss and wind as soon as I release it. I better release something else. Yeah, I think I he's know. done a good job at finding something that works as an expansion. I do too. Uh, I like it. I don't love it. Uh, if you play the game a lot. I would suggest picking it up just to just yeah. this variation, but it doesn't really improve the game. It's just a different it's just a different thing to put in. It, if you if you've played it twice in the last four weeks, then don't bother. <laughs> but any more than that, and you know it might be nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love your arbitrary scale. Yeah, I mean, at the end of everything, like I mean, you know, I was hesitant to give uh, like score type reviews before, and like we've started doing it. But then there's always a little snippet from Mike, which is just that's Mike's review. That's <laughs> it's just, I don't give numbers. I give by this if. By this, if completely <laughs> arbitrary number of things we cared. Yeah, two and a half, gentlemen. I would say it's not great. Oh yeah, okay. But two. it's but it's not bad. It's just it's it's more King of Tokyo, and it's a bit it's a bit better. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go for two gentlemen out of four. Just, just you, you have no strong opinion. I have no strong opinion either one way or the other. No, James. Um, I quite like it. I like it's a chain, so I'm probably going to go with two and a half as well. I agree. Okay, um, and Mike's right. was that thing Mike, yeah, Mike, twice in the last You've already weeks. used your review quota. <laughs> you yeah. cannot give any uh, gentleman. Oh, buy it if you like powers as well. You, you get loads of extra powers. If the if the part of the game that you enjoy is the powers, then you'll enjoy it. And okay. if it's Wednesday. And if it's a Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. Before noon. Right, so last up in the tabletop uh, arena is... Uh, Fancy Flight's new Star Wars RPG, Edge of the Empire. Uh, we played through the introductory adventure um, at the weekend, and uh, I think I think we all had a good time doing it. Yes, not? Chris mm -hmm. was DM. I yeah. Uh, Sims was you were the smuggler. I was Han Solo. You were Han Solo. He was a Han Solo yeah. ripoff. Uh, I was a robot. Yeah. You're Beep. always a robot. Beep -bop. Beep -bop. Mike, Mike was a robot in Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> like, if I can be a robot, I will be a robot. I was I quite that's... surprised because I arrived. I arrived last of the session, and there's like, oh, there's one character available. And I was like, oh great, I get to be R2D2 or something, or C3PO. Well, that's because droid. Stu's, Stu had never played any RPG stuff before, so he went straight for Chewbacca-esque guy, whatever he's called, because he just wanted to act stuff. Mike was always going to go for the robot. Yeah. Lang is always going to go for a Twi'lek, always. Okay, yeah. so, and so I got to be Han Solo, who was yeah. not actually, not even like, like coolly the best character. I think he was objectively the best character. I had good stats on everything. It was yeah. great. All the coercion. So. Yeah. I I, but you were you, well-rounded. We, you didn't have any stats that were spiked. Apart from pilot, I was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas I had like mechanics, computing. Yeah. Loads uh, of but, other but not throw stun grenades, medics, apparently. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, back <laughs> to the... They've released a beginner box. The core rulebook isn't out yet, but uh, the beginner box has everything you need to play your first session. And they've actually released a follow-up adventure that you can download online, so you can carry on for a good few sessions just off what they've released originally. But it's been formatted quite cleverly in that 
normally you buy an RPG, you need to sit down with all the rules if you're the GM and you know learn GM. it. Games master, it's only a dungeon master mm. in Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, okay. Learn all the rules beforehand, and then before anyone can play. Whereas they've structured the first adventure to introduce all the rules over time, so you can learn it uh, as the games master just as much as the players can right there at the table you just sit down and start playing which which I really liked because you know it's less of a slog for me mm-hmm. it really ha- does have everything Star Wars-y like it, it feels very Star Wars-y mm. it's just it's the, the whole system just like it really lends itself to that narrative aspect of RPGs where say 4th edition Dungeons and Dragons which is what we were playing before didn't really it was very combat heavy and it was sort of mm. just get to the next combat and the next combat well I think I think it helps as well that people are um, already quite emotionally invested in Star Wars and just and, very familiar with it and very familiar yeah. with the concept whereas Dungeons and Dragons I mean I, I, I mean obviously I've played like sort of like hand, uh, like fancy sort of RPGs and stuff but the actual sort of fantasy setting I don't know I don't know what even we played you know like um, what's it uh, what's it's Eberron. called Eberron yeah. Like, yeah you need it's a whole new and the whole, ne- the, whole like, the whole like Neverwinter or whatever setting of yeah. Dungeons and Dragons it isn't really very familiar unless you're a real like proper Dungeons and Dragons whereas the role play aspect comes very easily with mm. Star Wars just because like I mean I mean we've all played some of the video games and yeah. you know, like seen the films seen, you've seen the films you just know it you know, mm. all you have to say at the start is that you're on Tatooine and everyone knows exactly yeah. what's going on the exact vibe of the whole place. And yeah, I know I'm Han Solo. I mean, I'm not actually Han Solo, but I know how to act as a, as a renegade smuggler, like Princess Boning Badass. But I think the thing that ties it all together, and uh, half the reason I purchased it, because I'm, I'm weak when it comes to custom dice. <laughs> the the uh, dice system like really lends itself to the, the narrative aspect, because the combat and the uh, roleplay stuff both function off exactly the same system. You've mm. got basically good and bad dice pretty much like dice for the players and dice for the the games master and they each just have you just roll successes they've got sides with successes on and whoever gets the most sort of wins that event so if you're trying to you know convince somebody you're part of a maintenance crew to get in somewhere then the games master assesses the difficulty of that and puts a number of his dice in the players put dice in based on their skills and you roll them all together in a pool, and it's just a direct. Right, the players have four successes. Well, the guy has two, so the players win. Yeah. But then there's a second bunch of symbols on the dice, which are advantage and threat, which basically are there to add extra narrative elements. And they don't count as successes, but if it's, someone rolls a bunch of advantage, then something really good narratively yeah. is going to happen. Mm. Even if they fail. Even if they fail, you can roll no successes but four advantage. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if someone was shooting at you and you were trying to defend, you'd still get hit, but something... Yeah. You could you know, hit, but then, like, you'd, you'd slip and the gun would fall out of your hand or something after you're hit. Yeah, some, yeah. It's, 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 basically down, it's basically down to the GM to determine... Yeah, there's a things. few mechanical things you can use them for. Like, you can use them to regain strain, which is mm. sort of exhaustion. Like, if you really push yourself on a turn, then you take strain and it's sort of another health bar really you've got Mm -hmm. your health bar well your health points and you've got your exhaustion points and if you're down to zero on either of them but apart from that oh you can add extra dice as well yes you can add sort of boost dice to your next rolls and things like that but apart from that they're pretty much there as a narrative aid and Mm -hmm. running the game they really did help because you never really felt like 
you were being unfair or mean when these when it went your way or that you were making it too easy mm. for them because it was still all down to the dice roll. You're not like you don't feel like you're railroading someone just for the hell of it. It's it's all governed by the dice, but it's still just quite free and narrative and I don't know. I enjoyed running it a lot more than I enjoyed running D and D. I mean, it, it's definitely very much Dungeons and Dragons light. Although I say that um, in a sort, sort of, I need to explain myself because when you think of Dungeons and Dragons light, you probably think of something like you know Hero Quest or yeah. you know the other one we got. Descent. Yeah, which aren't really sort of pen and paper games. They're more sort of Dungeons and Dragons light in that they don't have the pen and paper narrative aspects. This is Dungeons and Dragons light that they do uh, very much have the pen and paper narrative aspects. But it's got the role playing. Really yeah, it's got the role playing, but it, but the combat system is. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say simplify. I, I, that, that doesn't necessarily need to be a bad thing, but it's certainly not as complex. You don't need to worry about armor class. Mm. Or, yeah, I mean, and there's I mean, no, you do there's a bit, no but like, it's just it's it's just very simple. You don't need to. Yeah. There's not, and I presume they're going to introduce certain aspects, especially once they start getting Jedi and stuff into it. Cause this focuses all on the sort of fringe world type of stuff. Yeah. I mm-hmm. believe they're releasing two more, one that's uh, Alliance and Empire stuff, and then the last one will be Jedi stuff. Yeah. Um, that like they're going to be completely separate core rule books, so mm. like I think it's going to build up because yeah, narratively it's it's between uh, four and five, so there aren't actually many Jedi at all in the universe. Yes. So now it makes sense that they're not going to introduce that for quite a while. Yeah, I think um, I think it would be a very good um, introduction game to people to sort of like pen and paper sort of mechanics. Um, yeah, we, as long as you have a competent GM. Because a lot of it uh, focuses on sort of GM calls, for example, on the advantage dice. Isn't uh, it? Isn't like a specific thing. Like it would be Dungeons and Dragons. Like say a critical hit does twenty, or whatever. The GM just has to kind of concoct a sort of like solution or whatever. And also the fact that the movement isn't tile based means that the GM has to pretty much go, okay, you've moved to there or you've moved to there, and you have to make approximations, which the GM has to think are fair. But it means the action flows a lot quicker, certainly yeah. would with novice D&D players like we essentially are, I've only played a couple of games of D&D, is that when we played it, the encounters were so slow because we were thinking, okay, what is it? It's uh, action, turn, combat, and then I can trade them down so I can move this. So we, we were thinking out you know, very sort of gamey solutions to our problems rather than... Whereas in Edge of the Empire, it's, can I get to that cover? Uh, yeah, but it's a little far, so you'll have to spend a couple of strains and make that movement yeah. and things like that. It's just it's. It makes the yeah, but yeah, easier to do. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, the, very much. It's 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 just very um, versatile. I think because it's, mm-hmm. it's purely it's judgment call all the time. It's, yeah, yeah. You're not map. You're not you don't mapping. To, yeah, you don't have to map everything exactly. One, one, well, one disadvantage to the um, advantage and threat. Advantage and threat. One disadvantage I found with that is everything was very quick combat wise like success fail but there was often a case of right that's a hit and now I have to work out the advantage and now the, like Chris has to work out what the advantage it's, is and it's still quicker than going right around a 17 plus the yeah. 4 for that um, plus I, the 1 bonus but, from but, this thing yeah and yeah. we've got the Thing well, of triumph oh, there, yeah. so we're inside that. So don't forget the plus one. Don't for forget that. the bard song, but then you've got a negative two because you're being flanked. Yeah, and oh, you no, screeched you, oh, no, you don't turn. because you're a robot and you can't be flanked. Yeah, yeah, you, just, know what I mean? you don't get all of that. It's just yeah. Well, I'm you saying... say something that you think is fair, and for the most part, that's quite easy. That's easy enough to do within mm. the parameters that are set. And you, you, you know, you just think say something you think is fair. We didn't really have any quibbles. Mm. You don't get so no. much of the. Yeah. How does this work? No, that's not how that works. I don't want you don't get so much argument. No, I'm 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 saying it is a good system, especially in the narrative bits, well, in the role playing bits yes. where you where you're not in combat, but at the speed at speed of the combat system that 
it's unfortunate that such a good system slows it down almost. And yeah, but it, I just don't think it slows it down as much as like any other system I've played with. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, in, unless you can. Oh, it's, come it's up undoubtedly with a hypothetical. But then much I guess quicker. system. Yeah, well, I guess you know some people might. You know, I I like that aspect of all the mm-hmm. RPG stuff. I like having to make stuff up on the fly, whereas some people like to have, have their yeah. plan and. If it all goes wrong for them, it's just like, I haven't really thought how this is going to work out. <laughs> Whereas, you know, when you were saying, well, can we uh, can we let all the uh, Bantha things out and just ride them around the town? It's like, I was ready to let you do that. It wouldn't have gone very well for you, but it's just... <laughs> but yeah. I didn't want to ride them around the town. I wanted to ride them out into the desert. No, no, I wanted I wanted to... I can't remember what I wanted to do. Something, <laughs> Something Star Wars-y. Something Star Wars-y. Live in the desert for Live 10 the years. Desert. No, it's really good fun. I'm really looking forward to the uh, the full rulebook coming out because they, they, you get a rulebook so you can carry on and write your own adventures yeah. with the game, but these skill trees are a bit more limited, I believe, and like there's just... You're limited on how many like monster stats and things there are, mm-hmm. whereas... Core rulebook, I imagine, will go a bit broader. Um, in, in the, I'm, I'm not sure, but in the new releases, will you be able to sort of start again with characters that you make? Or yes, it, like it's okay, just, so and it's, there are. It's the, not you have to stick with these four. And I think people. there are some rules in there for uh, making characters, but it's only mm-hmm. a few classes and a limited yeah. skill tree at the moment. Um, but yeah, like there's I, space I, combat. There is space there's combat. Space combat. As well. Yeah, pew, pew. and it works similarly yeah. enough to the rest of it to be again really quite fluid mm-hmm. but you also have well you can also have the uh, sort of plan of your ship with your mm. guys on it so like because it, it was a Corellian ship so like a, the Millennium Falcon well, basically if, if you want and you run you actually run around on the ship doing shit yeah, if like, you want an analogy it's essentially fast and light ship combat yes it, it is, is. Yeah. yeah because you've got say we had Four people playing the game, so I was the renegade pilot. So I was. In, he's got the highest pilot. So I've got scale. the high, highest pilot skills. So he so, was cockpit. I was in the cockpit. Then we had two people on the guns to shoot the tie fighters, and yeah. the older robot here in engineering Hello. fixing things up. So you know, when you're in engineering, uh, uh, as the engineer was, the robot was, you could, for instance, um, try and fix the hyperdrive because apparently Millennium Falcon type ships just don't have hyperdrive <laughs> that work, or you could, you know, repair the ship for. Um, armor, which was equivalent to focus, I think, or hull, which was equivalent to wounds. Yeah, so about, essentially wounds. HP or um, MP, you could put it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but, so it's similar enough, but it's quite nice having that that crew aspect, especially I imagine in more risky encounters where you've literally got to have loads of people just get off the guns to run to the yeah. back there and try and repair stuff. Mm. Uh, one example of a really nice thing we had was the 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 droid in the shop that you tried to repair to convince the guy to give you a discount on a part and you succeeded only in making it more sarcastic. And uh, by the time you got on the ship, you had a little sarcastic R5 droid around as well yeah. that you can just keep with you to followed, do stuff, which is... Followed yeah, us just to annoy us. Just mm, a sort of example of just the, the kind of stuff you can just throw in based on those really sim- that really simple but really quite effective dice system. Yeah. Oh, there was loads of grenades that did horrible things oh but, yeah you know. none of us can throw stun grenades apparently yeah <laughs> they all just fail to detonate in a, oh. yeah in a similar thing it's sort of a failure but with loads of advantage so i fail at taking the pin out of the grenade but throw it anyway or something like that it, <laughs> i think that would be a success no that would be yeah. like a no, that was just you that was just your failure yeah <laughs> with extra threat but it's just the the way the adventure the starting adventure at least is set up is that a lot of the situations are 
certainly things you'll be familiar with if you've seen the just the original films. Mm-hmm. So yeah. a lot of the proposed solutions to problems, although a lot of them didn't weren't what you did in the end, were mm. solutions from the films, which like I mean, you know, definitely doesn't have to be, but the less imaginative player or GM might wind up being hemmed into essentially the first film. The first film, yeah. Right? yeah. That you know, the the options are all there and yeah, it's just it's just a very loose, very narrative system, and it was really good fun. Um, we're going to play the follow-up adventure uh, at some point in the next few weeks, um, and then we'll see how well we can branch it out into something of our own. But it's, yeah, definitely a good start, and I look forward to seeing more of it. My only complaint is that there are slightly too few dice in the box for actually yeah. some of the skills. Yes, that is right. Not by much, and it's, you know, I think twice in a whole game, it's like, actually, you do need an extra one of those. But because of the fact it's a, an opposed dice system, once you start using the bad dice to make up for a gap in the good dice, it becomes quite confusing to read. But they'll release a pack of dice soon enough, and that won't be yeah. a problem. So, and there's also an app for the phone you can get that just does them all. So, like, oh, right. even if you're short, you can, and you just make the pool, you just go right three of those to it. There's an app for that. that. There is an app for that. There's an app for that. So, uh, how many you walks out of four? I got a lot. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a four gentle walks out of four at the moment. Gentle walks. Gentle walks. Sounds like a Chinese takeaway. I mean, you know, it being an RPG, you have to see how it yeah. pans out a bit. But but yeah, I'm I'm really happy with what they've done with it, and I look forward to playing a lot more of it. Mm-hmm. I would say buy it if you like uh, two out of the following five: Star Wars, D and D, custom dice. Custom miniatures, friends. You don't get any miniatures. I bought them. Oh, okay. Wait, so if you like Star Wars and friends, <laughs> yeah. then then friends. you'll probably have fun with this. Yeah, if you like Star if, Wars and your no, friends, no. To be fair, what if you don't like board games? No, to be fair, I think if you like Star Wars and your friends, like, I think I think anyone would enjoy it. Because, like, as I say, Stu played with us. Stu's been like Stu lived with people at university who played RPGs at the time, and he didn't he didn't want to get involved, and he had a good time playing. Edge of the right. Empire, and he'd never played any board games until that day. I'd say, <laughs> I'd say, the four following them. <laughs> I'd say, if you're a hardcore um, uh, like D and Dia, I'd say uh, the rule book might be a the rules might be a bit light for what you're used but we to. Need, but the core um, rules aren't out yet, so okay, they might be. They might be. If you're if you're looking to get into D and D and want something a bit more accessible than sort of pen and paper like fourth yeah. edition or three point five, whatever, I'd say definitely go for it. Um, or, or if you, to be honest, it's not that complicated as long as you've got someone who is flexible enough to do a decent job as as yeah. a GM. Then yeah, definitely invest. It definitely encourages the DM to be flexible. So, GM yeah. to be flexible, and it's lot a lot less booky. Yeah, basically no complaints. So I guess I have to give it four four gently walks out of four. For now, we'll For see now. how the core we'll, we'll pans yeah. out. But a, yeah. a provisional four walks. If you like Star Wars, get it. Yes, yeah. even Star if you Wars. like Star Wars. Theme nailed. Okay, well, after several weeks of me wanting to talk about this, we're finally going to talk about it. Hooray. Football. No, <laughs> XCOM. Constant football. XCOM, constant football. No, XCOM Enemy Unknown, which is the long-awaited follow-up. Well, I guess it's a follow-up not to any of the sequels of XCOM UFO Defence or XCOM... Uh, what was it originally? It was either called UFO Defense there, or... I think it had two names. I think it's no, in America, UFO Defense and XCOM Enemy Unknown. Yeah. 
No, so, wasn't there UFO enemy unknown and like um, XCOM UFO defense? I think he's right. There. Well done, Mike. Good, good knowledge there. So okay. this is a synthesis of the two names, and just like a synthesis of the two names, this is a synthesis of modern games and old games, bringing all that's great about old school, like sort of like roguelike combat where you know you die and you like lose everything, and and really complex systems and new games where the interface isn't like you're trying to operate it blind with one arm amputated. Which was what the original oh, XCOM combat was, like. was terrible. Oh god. Okay, I don't quite yes, agree with that. I, I don't know. I mean, in the whole, in the old XCOM combat was pretty. The combat was boring. combat was fine. It's just the interface was atrocious. It took three turns to get off the ship. <laughs> yeah, no, it, no, but that's not the combat being atrocious. That's the combat being slow. Which is why, despite my love for the original XCOM, I never actually managed to complete it because. As you got into the later stages of it, it just took so long because you were shooting down so many UFOs constantly and you were, you were constantly in combat. And like Mike said, it took three turns to get off the ship and then a billion more turns to do anything. Whereas but, in this new one, you're already off the ship. You're already <laughs> 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 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10 for Mike. Don't have to get off the ship. So that's Mike's contribution done. Yes. Um, no, I really, really liked it. Um, uh, it's probably my game of the year of last year, I reckon. Although, having said that, the more I play it, the more fi things I find to criticise about it. But that you've played a, it a lot. I have, I think that's I have the case played it quite a lot. So, um, so yeah, um, Mike, what were your thoughts? I really liked it, unsurprisingly. Uh, I like they've they've taken out what seemed to me all the annoying bits of the micromanagement and and kept in all the really good bits. Mm -hmm. so uh, you've still was... got enough to do and enough to worry about that it's kind of as stressful as it should be without yeah. it being stressful just because yeah as you say because the interface is really mm -hmm. irritating it's it's streamlined in a good way rather mm -hmm. than just simplified and it is simpler but, but it, yeah the, like the, the research trees but are... it's not I feel I wouldn't say like dumbed down is the I just worry about that term. Yeah, I, I worry about the term dumbed down. It definitely is simpler, and it's not simpler insofar as it's only the interface has been streamlined. The gameplay is simpler, and the game as a whole is simpler. Um, I think it's a fallacy that necessarily streamlining something necessarily makes it worse. I mean, no, no, no. the old one was quite clunky in certain places. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for example, in the old one, when you finished a mission, if you wanted to save your ammo, you would go around all your guys and manually unload all your guns so you actually took your ammo back to the ship, which was just, like, hor horrendous. Well, as opposed to what, just dropping it in a pile on the battlefield? Well, no, if you, if, you kept, if you kept your ammo in your guns when you went back to the ship, all those, all those uh, clips disappeared, all those magazines right, so yeah, disappeared. Because I've never played the first. Mm -hmm. I've never played any of the original Ectoms. So this was my first... Proper XCOM yeah. experience. I feel I feel a little bit about it, um, the same way I feel about Deus Ex Human Re Revolution. That it's definitely a worthy successor, um, and I think XCOM Enemy Unknown is slightly more worthy successor to XCOM than Deus Ex Human mm. Revolution was to Deus Ex. And I like Deus Ex Human Revolution. Certainly, um, criticisms against it can be levelled uh, with it being more simplistic than the previous ones. Just because there's less tactical flexibility when you take away things such as the inventory. So, say in the original, you could put mm. a pistol in one hand, put a grenade in the other hand, and then prime the grenade for, th for three turns hence. Mm. So you could, you know, keep the pistol ready and then move to where you wanted to throw the grenade. Whereas this one, you know, you've just got one action, which is, you know, you either throw the grenade or maybe change your pistol and shoot. So there's definitely, like, a lot less you can do with it, but it becomes so much more, e more easy to operate because of that. 
Yeah, they've added quite a, a nice few little things like suppression. Mm -hmm. That was that was something that's really good. Spotting for the snipers is really good mm -hmm. and really satisfying. Taking taking a headshot of something that is so far away and through a tiny gap in one window is mm -hmm. so satisfying just because you got the spotter perk. Being able to open doors from Being the side of doors. the door. Yeah. <laughs> because that, the old the XCOM, XCOM, yeah. you literally, like one guy was going to die. Because yeah. yeah. like sometimes it would sort of glitch out and the aliens would just stay in the ship there. You, you'd scour the whole map. It's like, I don't actually think there's any aliens on it. You go to the door and it's like, all right, here we go. And the guy would have to stand in the doorway, just open the door <laughs> and get shots of shit. Which is why in the original XCOM, I always had all my guys bring explosive packs in their backpack because then I didn't have to use doors. Like, just <laughs> blow everything out of the way. Which I love that was actually very faithfully redone in this, which I wasn't yeah. sure it would be. Destructible walls. Destructible, mm. destructible walls, destructible things. Because um, the amount of times he's got, right, I've got a sniper up there and I want a clean line of sight on this guy. So what I'm going to do is going to level off the building and mm. then he'll, you know, he'll be able to see everyone inside. And it's, you know, it's, and it yeah, works. It's, mm. And then miss on a seven to cringe. Yeah. <laughs> That's something I don't like about as much this game, that the soldiers, um, they're much more generic than the original XCOM. In the original XCOM, they, all the soldiers had different stats. So some of them had lots yeah. of strength so they could lug, lug things around better without reducing their stamina. Some of them had more time units so you could do more in a turn, but maybe they couldn't actually carry heavy weapons. Whereas These now, once you advance a bit, they're mm -hmm. basically allocated the stock stats, stats for a heavy or yeah. a sniper or whatever. Mm -hmm. Whereas previously, you could look at the stats and go, well, I'm going to load him out with this stuff because that's what he'll be good at. Yeah. So, um, I, I think the, the I don't I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with the class system. If I was to level criticism the class system, it would be that there are some choices which you're going to make for a certain class pretty much every time because they're so much more useful than the alternative. Yeah, like, it's definitely an optimal setup. That you know, after yeah. a couple of goes picking the wrong thing, and, mm -hmm. you know, you you go. To be honest, this is just definitely the better well, power. It's not yeah. really a choice. Like, I I don't think there's oh, any. The that choice I don't, in the, I don't yeah. think yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you sort of have a, I mean, tech, tech tree is kind of the wrong word. You just every level you tech get the choice between yeah. two powers. Has anyone not taken squad sight on a sniper? No, ever? obviously squad sight. I did. Yeah. I, I did the first did the run first through. Run yeah. yeah, the first one I think I took running gun because it was annoying me, and then I don't think I even read squad sight. I just but, sort of yeah. running gun. Ba basically, a, a sniper, a sniper can only fire when it hasn't moved, unless you get um, a power called. Uh, it's not called running gun. I think it's called snapshot, which means you can move and then take a shot. Uh, and that shot comes at minus 15% accuracy penalty. And the other one lets your sniper uh, shoot anywhere that his teammates can see. So basically, as long as he's got line of sight. Yeah, as long as he's got line of sight. And even if Snapshot came with no accuracy penalty, I'd still take squad sight. But also, as soon as you pick squad sight one time and realise that the sniper having line of sight mm. is quite loose in a lot of places. You do a lot of, you do a <laughs> lot of taking aliens walls, out yeah. through an entire ship. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say the, the engine um, isn't amazingly intuitive on, on, um, on you knowing exactly where you can see and where you can't. Yeah. The amount of times I've... And that's particularly compounded by the fact you don't have a certain amount you can move, so you can't move somewhere, take a look, and then move somewhere else with your remaining move. Once you move, that's it for moving for your turns. There's a lot of times I've gone to, say, the corner of a building and been like, oh, I can definitely see that guy. And suddenly it's like, oh, no, you can't see that guy. I need and, to be one space. Yeah, I need to be one space to the right or left. But I, I, that's, that's one of the trade-offs with simplifying it. Is mm -hmm. So that instead of, instead of space counting, mm -hmm. there's just this blue line and then there's a yellow line. And that's yeah. it, it streamlines the entire game having it that way. And it also, although the game is grid-based, it actually makes it... 
it just makes it feel a bit less mm. it's like you know you just pick a place and they run there rather than yeah if i if i have a criticism of the tactical uh, level i.e the shooting bits it's firstly that the maps are pre-made which i don't necessarily have a problem with but i think there's a few too few of them You'll, if you play a decent-sized um, playthrough, you'll nearly have seen them all or will have seen them all by the end of the game. And if you are, you know, just uh, say you play on classic Iron Man and you just screw up quite a few times and you have to restart the game quite a few times, then you'll get a lot of repetition. And it's not just the repetition, it's the fact that the aliens have very specific designated spawn points. And mm. you, you very quickly begin to get a grasp of how the combat will play out. There are quite a few maps now where... You know, I know exactly where I want to move my troops to on the first turn because I'm pretty sure there'll be some sectoids or some thin men there and I won't have to deal with any unnatural surprises until I run, you know, somewhere else. I know this is probably going to upset Sims quite a lot, but I think in terms of the control scheme, it's very nicely done for consoles. Why would that upset me? Because I imagine you're going you to tell me it takes away from... No, well, it would be a better control scheme on PC. No, 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 no. All right, okay. Consoles versus PC isn't a zero-sum game. You don't, you don't like... There's not like two piles of goodness, and taking away from the PC like yeah. gives it to the console. But it's, it has a very console control scheme anyway. It works quite nicely. Yeah, no, but it has a cons it's it's optimized well for the console, and it's fine with the mouse. It's fine with the mouse yeah. and keyboard. Like, absolutely well, fine. Oh, one okay. thing I don't like as much for the console. I've seen some videos of people playing the PC version, and the console is very slow if you're putting the whole squad on Overwatch. Mm -hmm. Like if like you, one person's done an action and then like all right okay I need to be safe and put everyone on Overwatch it's like Overwatch and then you have to wait a few seconds then Overwatch mm -hmm. and then wait whereas on PC it's just like bam 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 done yeah, everyone's done. Um, if I've got another criticism of the tactical level, I guess it isn't tactical level more so the game design itself. In addition to the maps being similar, they're also very Western generic. Yeah. I mean, mm. it's supposed to be sort of a globe-tropping game, and you say, okay, we're coming down in Kenya for this one. Let's get ready. And you expect to be stepping out into the streets of Nairobi, and instead you step out into an American diner. You know, it's... It, um, yes. Uh, well, the original was like, like that as well. It was, but, you know, we're at a stage now where... Mm -hmm. really There's less of an excuse now. And I think a similar thing applies to the, the UFO missions, where you, you've shot down a UFO, and they always crash land in sort of American pine woodland. They never crash mm -hmm. land in, you know... The desert or something and I, I guess it's a bit much to ask them to code you know every single type of terrain in the entire world but mm. they are they are very sort of homogenous and I think more could have been done to, to that but yeah the tactical the tactical games fine um, if I have any real complaints it's on the strategic level um, purely because compared to the original XCOM that is much much simpler you essentially um, in the well firstly you only get one base and one Sky Ranger Whereas in the original yeah. XCOM, you built, and it's in a specified location, whereas in the original XCOM, you built your base in specific locations, and that had a major impact on your coverage area of the world, and it also meant you could have, say, two Sky Rangers, so you could send one to an attack somewhere, and one to an attack somewhere else. It limits your tactical flexibility, it limits your strategic flexibility, um, in that there is really none. That, that's pretty, that's a pretty, pretty big limitation. Yeah. Mm. But, say in the original XCOM, you had, uh, you detected an alien ship, um, which you'd actually detect with radar as opposed to it just being an event, which it is in this one. The alien ship would fly and maybe land somewhere. You could send your Sky Ranger full of men to deal with the ship on the ground, but you could also send an interceptor because the ship could take off while your Sky Ranger's on the way there, so you'll need to shoot it down and then send your Sky Ranger there. And it was a lot more based on your reaction to the threats that actually existed within the game world rather than it saying, here is a threat, it's like here is a terror mission, here is a you know an attack on England or whatever, and then you had to you had to make a binary choice to pick one or the other of them. That seemed quite limiting to me. 
the single Sky Ranger was a big one for me, just because in one of the videos they put out before it was released, it was implied that you could have your like a backup Sky Ranger and just have your backup squad swoop in, and it's not a thing you can do. You have the one, and that's that's how your guys get mm-hmm. around. Like the satellites and things, and the bases around mm-hmm. let you have more fighters to shoot things down, but your coverage with people is pretty much one. just mm-hmm. you can get anywhere. I presume they've done that just for extra streamlining. But this, this is the thing. I mean, this is one of the cases where streamlining generally does equal just objectively less complex. Yeah, and it's just one of those things. Another element where there is a specific way that you look at your original setup of the place you could build your base. Mm-hmm. There's a specific way you should build your base. Mm-hmm. This is obviously what you need to mm-hmm. do because you need a bit of that and a bit of that. Is there a steam vent anywhere yeah. nearby? Yeah. Then do that. And the way the campaign plays out, the XCOM is supposed to be this sort of, you know, solve things your own way, which is done largely to an extent on the research and on the choice you make as to what, what to research, what resources to allocate. But the actual way the game plays out as you progress through it is very, very similar each time. So, you know, you do enough missions until eventually you, uh, you basically find where a secret base is and then you have to manufacture a key for that base. You assault that base and find out some information. Then a large mothership comes, which you shoot down, which gives you some more information, which lets you build a thing, uh, which um, lets you go to the final base. And that always happens sequence on sequence on sequence, one after the other. Um, and it always happens at very you know, pre-dis- uh, you know, predefined points in the game, unless you kind of arbitrarily say, right, I'm not going to assault the alien base for ages because I don't want to. Wait until you've got better armor or something. Well, no, but that's the thing. The alien base is leveled because... Is it? Yeah, the bad guys. The bad guys turn up at certain specific points in the game. Like I think the mutons turn up at about like maybe a month and a half, two months. If you assault the alien base after a month, you're only going to deal with sectoids, thin men, and I don't know whatever else really? there is there. Yeah. Oh, um, right. Whereas if you wait until I've had the same. Well, I failed one miserably where mm-hmm. I went to the alien base as soon as I could, and I was va- massively unprepared. And I think I'd only just seen chrysalids beforehand, and there was sort of. Eight of them, well, no, three in that first little corner. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I made just a, killed them all instantly. I made a similar so, mistake what? in that, yeah, the first time I sort of started ploughing through the objectives before I'd made the effort to set up an infrastructure. But there's a few points where you want to do the opposite thing. Like mm-hmm. sometimes, sometimes you're wanting to just go, we'll leave that for now. You know, we need to prepare. And then because, as you say, because of the time-based introduction of various threats, there are other times where it's like. Once you played it once and you sort of know where they are, so right, better do that now before before X Alien reveals itself. It does have the beautiful, beautiful, horrible moments that XCOM specialises in, where just everything goes wrong. Yeah, I think it's very much a game that benefits a lot from naming everyone after your friends. Yes, <laughs> right. Uh, it works both ways. Uh, there, are, you know, you really want to keep your men alive in the game, but also you garner whole new levels of respect for people you didn't know you had it for just because their counterpart in the game is elite yeah <laughs> some people are just like wow Steph's actually just you know she's rocking that shotgun <laughs> yeah but then you also then you also gain huge levels of disrespect for for people you thought you had respect with, with for like, that for, you couldn't hear a white man <laughs> or a black background no for Steph who flanked someone and managed to miss a 98% shot on a, on a sectoid that was next to her and then managed to get critical hitted through heavy cover I was not impressed but I think those crossovers like, are testament to actually how aff- uh, affecting some of those mm-hmm. moments are and like how like, genuinely stressful it can be it's just mm. like, the only, the only problem is is that you generally start a game and you name 
all your first soldiers after your closest friends, then by the end you're like just you, you you're running with a team of just Facebook contacts. It's just like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I'll have have you on there, you know. Yeah. So just I like, I really liked the way the game introduces nicknames to people based mm. on what they've been good at so far. Like just just yeah. The, the, the characters even though you've had no attachment so far mm. I find myself referring them by the nickname that's been given referring you, to them by the you nicknames. were Dozer I believe Dozer nice yes. you were Tectonic in mind <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I think is quite apt <laughs> Tectonic for, Sims. for the first of the race of bear men <laughs> <laughs> I was on it like a plate Tectonic yes. no well just to give an example of what can happen I was um I was attacking at a gas station and I had all my troops sort of, you know, arranged in a, in a manner which I thought I was safe from threat. And I was indeed safe from threat, apart from the threat of myself. Because James over here tried to do suppressive fire on an alien miles away, managed to miss and hit the car which Ness was hiding behind. <laughs> now, cars explode after one turn, which isn't usually a problem if the aliens hit them. But if you hit them on your turn, then they explode in the aliens' turn, which is an absolute bugger. So the aliens' turn ended... They didn't do anything to me. Then the car exploded, killing Ness. Which made Chris go berserk, <laughs> turn his sniper rifle around, and shoot Mike in the head, and he died. Which made um, someone else someone else called... Um, oh, what, uh, who's I think it was Leon, who you don't know. Leon went berserk, turned around, and killed someone else. Which made the whole team freak out. So I'd lost three guys from doing absolutely nothing. Then the mutons came and killed me, because everyone was panicking. <laughs> Yeah, and it's, it's and a it's... fun game. <laughs> <laughs> it is a fun game. All the criticism aside, it has definitely been one of the best games of the year. Mm. Um, certainly a, a worthy success of the series in my eyes. I, and, I mean, but it's fair to say none of us were particularly purists of the original XCOM. Yeah, we liked um, them, but... Like, well, I certainly wasn't. We could Colin certainly <laughs> wasn't. But we could see them for their flaws. Like, I, I would really like it to have... Um, a proper, proper expansion. Um, maybe, maybe even like one of those games which is like sort of a semi-expansion, but also a standalone. If you know what I mean. So it adds all the it adds all the content if you got the original. Because I just think it needs a whole lot more maps. I think that's the main thing. I think know. it needs a lot more maps. I think it needs um, the original campaign to progress in a more diversified style. But apart from that, I think it's almost perfect. Uh, recent news: There's been an update as of the eighth yes. of. January. The update's yeah. out. That's all people need. To yeah, know. The, the update's out already. With, that adds a lot of things that make the game harder. I think it's called so, Second Wave. Yes. And so once you complete the game, you can then go back and change. Yes, I, I think, think ten or so things. I that think make it each harder. difficulty setting unlocks four of the options. Okay. But if you win on classic or whatever, you'll unlock all yeah, the Yeah, and it's, as it's, well. it's retrospective as well, so the game knows if you already completed it and un unlocks those yeah. things if you already completed yeah. that difficulty. So, and um, that's the type of uh, change what, that I like. That's the type it's of just extra content for almost free. It's just, well, for free, it is for free. But for like, on the developer's point of view, it's almost for free. Like There's mm. going to be almost no man hours involved yeah. in that type of thing. It's literally stat So, yeah. newsflash, the type of stuff Mike likes is more stuff for free. <laughs> yes. Four gentlemen. Four gentlemen. Three point eight gentlemen. Three point eight. Oh, we're going into. <laughs> we're going into yeah, ludicrous things. Well, I don't. I want to give it more than three point five, but I don't ever feel comfortable giving. What happens to the score. point eight of a gentleman? Like, was he driving an open top car yeah. over a low under a low bridge or something? No, I think he was in a war and then 
a grenade landed next to him, but it only blew his shin off. If you like the original XCOM, you should play it. If you didn't like the original, original XCOM, you should also play it. Yeah. So that's a hundred percent of people. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say buy it if yeah, as Sim says, you played the original and liked it. Are you the type of person that likes the weighing up the options of sacrificing short term gains for long term gains and vice versa and but also the panic of things going wrong and oh no, they're getting worse and bad to worse and or, but if you do things right then they get feel really good and really right and everything's nice. Are you that type of person? <laughs> if so, buy XCOM. Call and of duty, guns call and aliens. Call of duty noob tubers need not apply. <laughs>